0: Right, well we're in, uh, I think it's week six of Daring to Grow, Unlocking uh, Two Corinthians, uh, Reflecting God's Glory Boldly. I suppose there should be a comma after glory, but anyway, Reflecting, that's our theme, uh, we're in the series, uh, Daring to Grow, and we're deliberately unpacking a difficult book in the Bible, it's the book of Two Corinthians, and uh, we're doing it. the guys are doing a great job, don't you think? They've done brilliantly. It was great last week, and Adam the week before, and Deborah before that's excellent. So, um, again, hopefully today you'll enjoy this message. Uh, I want it to be challenging, I don't want it to be just tickling your interest. I want you to let it sort of go, go into your life, reflecting God's glory boldly. What on earth does that mean? It's quite an interesting passage. This, um, there's an old, well, a quote. I don't know who made this quote, but you've probably seen something similar to this. Second best is the worst enemy of the best. Have you ever heard something like that before? Second best is nothing worse than working so hard, so hard, and just missing. It's not because we don't. I, I know when my kids were at primary school, they always, in the school in, in Hayes, they always used to say at the school, you know, the sports day for the kids, it's not about winning. I tell you, you tell the parents that. They're all, they're all, come on, you old Johnny, get up!" You know, they're all, sh- the kids are all just swallowing, swallowing up the, uh, up the, up the uh, racetrack. But second best is the worst enemy of the best. And, and it is, if you've ever been second to the post or second to an opportunity, if you're in the commercial world and you, you just came second in that bid, you don't feel good about that, do you? Coming second means you get Nothing. <laughs> But um, being, maybe in the Olympics, second, uh, you know, silver, that, that's a very honourable thing. So I'm not saying in every situation, but second best is often the worst enemy of the best. And actually in the kingdom of God, it's true as well. Second best. But God doesn't want us to experience second best. He wants us to experience the best. That's why Pentecost came. That's why God planned Pentecost. Before we, the world was created, he planned Pentecost. Um, I've lost the monitor at the back, guys. If you could just do me a... Do ah, me oh, good. It's just resetting. Um, Second best is the worst enemy of the best, and, and God's plan is that we would enjoy the best. Um, who enjoyed Mark Ritchie last Sunday? That was great. If you didn't come, you really missed the funniest thing ever. It was so funny. I listened to it twice, and my jaw, my jaw was aching in both of them. But it, that was four services last Sunday. Do you realise? Four services. That, that's the first time I can remember well, I can't remember when we last did four services on a Sunday. In my history, it's not happened. That's extraordinary. And, of course, this is our first service of two today. You know, it looks like we're getting closer to having to think through having three services on a Sunday. But, uh, you know, what's... Well, what's, um, what stand-up comedians all about. They're all about comic timing, aren't they? It's the importance of just getting it just right. You can't be one second too early or one second... It's the timing. And I didn't know this, but in our first evening session for Mark Ritchie, the translators were translating into Spanish. Can you imagine, poor old Dave is trying to translate Mark Ritchie and make it funny (laughs) into Spanish. I'll tell you what, that's an example of being second isn't the best. (laughs) I tell, you, I tell you, I'm really sorry to those who are being translated into Spanish last Sunday. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't your fault, it was Dave's. <laughs> anyway, so um, also just want to say well done to everybody. You know, Eric and Lisa are, have just gone out as missionaries from this church. Do you realise that? Some, many of you know that. To you that might just be just another day in the office for this church. It's not just another day. That's the first time in over 25 years... A family have gone out full-time, sent by this church. And, you know, we bridge the gap as a group of people to enable them to go in. There were all sorts of constraints about them going to Macedonia and and setting up home. And I've had, a lot of you may have seen the Facebook messages from Eric in the week, but I've been swapping emails and texts with him um, during this week. And it was amazing, I discovered that actually your donations... To kickstart them came to over two thousand pounds, not just over thousand. It's over two thousand, and it, they're still counting it. I still don't have a full number. And the, and those of you who committed to stand with them with the standing orders, thank you so much because that's what keeps that's what sustains them. Sometimes it's good to give someone a kickstart, but but then next month what happens? That standing, those small committed standing or large in some cases committed is so so important for them. So thank you for that. But um, <clears throat> what do we carry in our lives? Second best is the worst enemy of the best, reflecting God's glory boldly. What do we carry in our lives? Well, I'm going to look at what we carry. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking, or two or three weeks, we've been talking about, in 2 Corinthians, that when God, by his Spirit, is in our life, because our trust is in Jesus Christ, stuff happens. Do you remember that rather exhaustive uh, treatise on fragrance? Do you remember the one a few weeks back? We talked about fragrance a lot about the smell you carry, and how that smell is good for some, and others just don't know it's like that smell. And, uh, but what makes up a smell? A fragrance is made up of all the component bits, and if you walk through Duty Free and you're a traveller with the airlines, you, you know, all, they, all those girls come up to you, don't they, they go, squirt, squirt, like, as if you've, you're a mosquito. <laughs> you know, I'm covered in Chanel number 37, or whatever it might be. But um. Anyway, you walk through that and you've come out a new man. That's what I just go through. It's like going through a car wash. You just, you just walk in this way. The trouble is, you're covered with so many different smells. You don't know who's going to fancy you. It's a funny old thing. Anyway, so um, before I get myself completely off the track with fragrance, which dominated a preach I did just recently, um, we also talked about uh, uh, the letter recommendation last week. Wasn't it funny, that whole thing, when you take the second line, the intermediate lines out? That was so funny. It made me laugh a lot. So God's working with us. He's doing a lot for you to be infectious, to to carry his message. And I'm going to take it a lot deeper today because I want to open up from verse 17 in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians and we're going to run through to verse 18. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he gets really serious about this stuff now. You know, it's, it's like a novelty, he's, he's building them up, he's he letting them know about what God's doing, and all of a sudden he gets deep dive into profound things, where people's faith is, where they believe, what. so he gets quite serious, and I thought, oh, I've got to preach on this topic <laughs> this morning, but he starts to talk about the law, so I'm going to bring in the old and the new, the first point this morning, what do we need to understand? When we're understanding what it means to reflect God's glory boldly, we need to understand a few things. And the first thing we need to understand is that there is an old and there is a new. Now, those of you who are scholars of the Bible or who have read your Bible this year will know (laughs) that uh, it says uh, that the old is the old way of things. But it's interesting in these these verses, it just talks about the old and the new. In the New Living Translation, it says this. The first couple of verses, three verses, it says from verse 7. The old way with laws etched. By the way, that Greek word etched means hammered in. And it was hammered in by God himself. It wasn't, it wasn't just like some kind of you know, artistry. It was the old way with laws etched, hammered in in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Then verse 9, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? Now what Paul is doing here, he's deliberately bringing the Jews in Corinth, he's bringing their attention to the history of the Israelites and the Exodus from Egypt. And he's referring back to Exodus 32 to 34. He's directly challenging because there's a tension going on in this following Jesus group it's a church in Corinth they're following Jesus but a tension has erupted between those who are preaching a a form of truth it's well it is truth but it's truth that's been eclipsed it's the old way and they're bringing the old way back into the new way of thinking and the new way of thinking is God's plan the new covenant the new way the new God's grace really um that has been shown to them. But he's using this expression in New Living Translation, the old way and the new way. In fact, he contrasts this in these verses seven times. He talks about the new way, the old way. He's making a point about the way. Now, what do we think of when we think of way? We think of road, don't we? We think of a journey. Um, we think of a you know, going in a particular direction. It's not really like that. That's not the way this is really written. And other versions bring it out in different ways. But... The old way wasn't actually the law. It wasn't the law. It's just that the law revealed the old way. The law revealed it. And Moses, when he went up to the mountain and he met God, and twice he did it, the flawed nature of humanity, while he's up on the mountain with God down in the valley, the Israelites are worshipping an idol. You know. Yet they're God's people. We are God's people. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're God's person. You... You're his son, his daughter. But these Corinthians were also followers of Jesus, but there was this old way creeping in. And the old way had the law attached to it because God wanted to expose sin for what it really was. That's why the law was given, and you may well know that. But do you realise this, that all people are subject to the old way? The whole earth is subject to the old way. Until we put our faith in Jesus Christ, every man, woman, and child that walks this planet is subject to the old way. You know, we try to be progressive and modern and outgoing and up-to-date and high-tech and you've got your latest iPhone, your latest iPad, your latest ITV, you, uh, whatever it is, dishwasher. You know, you've got your latest everything, but actually people are in the old way. They're fundamentally in and part of the old way. And the law came during the old way to reveal the sin that was in the old way. But there is a new way. There's a new way. And I like it when it, it's compared, actually, in the ESV in slightly different ways. The ESV puts it slightly differently. And I want to bring this out. It's not just a way. This isn't just a journey. It's a ministry. The word in Greek that's used to describe way actually is used to describe the word ministry as well. A ministry. So like what I'm doing right now, I'm ministering, The old way is ministering to people. It is. It's making sin attractive to people. The old way is active. It's not passive. It's not just a journey. It's not just an option. It's something that is ministering into people's lives. The old way is a ministry, if you like. In fact, Paul calls it the ministry of death. Do you get that? The old way that people around us are walking in isn't just a journey. It's not just this passive optional thing. It's a ministry of death that's going on carved in letters of stone, and it's revealed with those tablets of stone, which is where the law was written. And he contrasts that with um, the ministry of the Spirit. Now, it was Pentecost Sunday in our calendar, and we are celebrating God's incredible gift to us of his Spirit. But he's comparing, Paul, the ministry of death with the ministry of Spirit. The ministry of death that is going on in this world, the old way basically just reveals that. He then goes on to talk about the ministry of condemnation compared to the ministry of righteousness. Condemnation. That word condemnation, is it's only used twice in the New Testament the way it's written in this text. It's really, really profoundly important. That condemnation means that you have been judged and condemned. You've been condemned. Condemnation, you've been condemned. You, you've, been, uh, you've been sentenced. You've been found guilty and sentenced. That's what that word so there's a ministry of death and condemnation. That ministry of condemnation is a judgment of people and a sentencing of people, a sentencing of people. But look at the contrast. The ministry of righteousness is the complete and absolute opposite. It's a declaring someone innocent. It's declaring somebody innocent. It means that you have been acquitted. See the power of those, these words. These aren't just just you know casual Sunday morning message. There's a ministry of condemnation that finds people guilty and sentences them, but there's a ministry of righteousness that declares people innocent and they're acquitted. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, the judgment that sits before you eternally, you have been found innocent and you have been acquitted. You carry that. You, are, you own that. And that's why Paul was getting so deep on this. And... Um, you know, he got quite, he was getting into this. He just wanted to, to get this across that churches can drift into legalism, into the old way. You can become old way-minded because you've got opinions about things that are really quite frankly irrelevant. I'm not talking about us, but I'm just one can have an opinion that has no value at all in God's kingdom. And yet we bring it into church life. The old old way thinking will condemn you. Old way thinking will condemn your brother, your sister. Old way thinking will condemn the people you meet. New way thinking, the ministry of righteousness will acquit people. It will let them free. It will give them release. That's what will happen. And if we carry that, you watch what will happen. People don't want to be locked up and condemned. They want to be acquitted and set free. And that's what the ministry that Paul is talking about. And, um, you know, whoever watches television, I do. Everybody does, I guess, most people, Um, I just happened to walk into our living room the other day. I just happened to see my youngest daughter watching a TV program called Celebrity Marriage Boot Camp. And I've never seen this before, but I thought, well, we run a marriage course. <laughs> I wonder how that relates. And, they go, and there was Celebrity Marriage Boot Camp. And, of course, these minor celebrities in the States all had, basically, they were wearing masks. They were being one thing that they weren't really. So there was deception in their world. It was amazing the degree to which deception was evident in in these couples. There was real deception there. Um, Deception in all different forms, not necessarily between each other, but there was that. But there was deception with the TV cameras and with the whole show. There was deception. And so this couple who were running this program confronted one of the guys and just said, you know, I think you're being two-faced. I think you're doing this for the cameras. He said, how dare you? You know, I am me. I'm being authentic. And he went round the room, and there was a whole bust up over this thing. And uh, then it's, they calmed everything down, they brought the people back into the room. He said, OK, well, now that we've got through that, we'll just go on to our next step. And our next step is the lie detector test. And behind them, they pulled off the sheet, and there was a lie detector there. And they went round the room again and asked the same questions, and you guarantee the truth came out this time. We should try that in our marriage course, would you reckon? LAUGHTER it's not until the autumn, so you've got time to put things right. Anyway, no, we're not gonna go there. We're not gonna go there, we're not investing in those things. So the old way and the new way. I, I love it. It says in Galatians 3:23 to 25. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. By faith you are justified justified is a legal forensic theological point those of you who are thinkers when you give your life to Jesus Christ it is a decision that is imperative you make you make that decision and it's a legal acquittal decision you make it and once for all time you're justified that's what that means you're justified if you come in faith to the living God and put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning if you've never done it you are coming out of the old way and you are in the new way You are in a ministry of life. That's what happens. It's extraordinary. It's a forensic thing. The law was your guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are free from all that stuff. We don't ignore it. Now, it's interesting. When Liz and I were out in Jordan recently and... You know, again, you guys, so generous, gave us £2,400 to take as a gift to refugees, Syrian refugees out there. We were busy all week, and at the very end of the week, before we came home, we were able to go down towards the Dead Sea and just see a couple of the. I didn't realize the biblical sites there, but you know, if you read the Old Testament, you know that Moses died on Mount Nebo. Well, we went to Mount Nebo, and we stood there and looked across to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And to to have thought that Moses, he he lived to the age of 120. You know, I'm wearing glasses this morning, but it says his eyesight was still good. And he was as strong as ever, it says in the Bible. And yet, on Mount Nebo, he died. Why? Because, Because Moses, whose face shone in the presence of God, failed in his own journey. He struck the rock twice as a result of that, God held him accountable for his behaviour. And that's why he didn't go into the promised land. So, you know, Moses' glory and the people seeing the presence of God, it counted for nothing in the... Well, it did count for something. But in the end, Moses didn't get the promise. He didn't get the promise. He was the only one who could go before God at the time. And I've got a photo from Mount Nebo. I thought you might be interested. So when you click it and you find out something completely different comes up on the screen. But, but this is a panoramic, slightly... Anyway, that's Mount Nebo. Uh, it's high. It's pretty high up. And you look across. Now, I'm sort of looking in that photograph from east across the Jordan, which is a small river now, to, the, the, to Israel, actually. And you can Jerusalem is on the hillside. And at nighttime, you can see the lights of Jerusalem across the Dead Sea. It's just an extraordinary thing. It's very hot down there. It's very low in terms of sea level. I think that's about 350 meters below sea level, at that, or certainly down by the... Um, down by the Jordan River. But Jericho's over there. But Moses, for 40 years, led the Israelites. And because of one mistake, that's where his resting place, well, it's actually in the valley, of Mo, in the, the area of Moab, which is down, down, down slightly lower down. But that's extraordinary, isn't it? And the left-hand side is the Dead Sea. Imagine walking for 40 years. You get to the point of the promise, and you don't go in. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That shows the old way and, and what, what's attached to it. Um, extraordinary. Okay, so the old and the new. We need to understand the old and the new. There is a repercussion between the old and the new. Secondly, glory that lasts. This is a good thing. Glory that lasts. It says in 2 Corinthians 10 to 12, in fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, you get that it's been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains glorious? forever it's an eternal glory not a temporary glory since this new way gives us such confidence we can be very bold so guys we have got the challenge here in scripture to be very bold because this new way because of this glorious thing that is going on the new glory um, is eclipsing the old covenant the new glory It's eclipsing it. In fact, it's nullifying it to to some degree. It's still valid because don't forget, God's judgment of humanity, the world, is based on the old way. That's why it's imperative that we don't get slack and and lazy when it comes to reaching people. Our passion is to reach the lost in this church. Our passion is to carry the gospel. Our passion is to invite people to be involved in the church. Our passion, we'll do what we can, but our passion is not to just attend, our passion is to bring the gospel to people. That's what our Great Commission is. All the world. Why have Eric and Lisa gone to Macedonia? Not for a lifelong holiday. It's not that good out there. The food isn't that fantastic. It's pizza, pizza, pizza and chips. Um, But actually, our challenge is to reach the lost. Our challenge is to bring the good news to people. Our challenge, this, this new way gives us such confidence. We can be very bold. That's our challenge. Our challenge is to take up the challenge of being bold. Let me just give you an illustration of this. In this picture, can you see where that little light is? Can you you see what's around the little light, anybody? Has anyone got such good eyesight, like Moses, that you can see what's around the little light? Well, you can't, can you? You can just see the little light. Well, that's like the law. The law, the old way, revealed fact, but it wasn't complete. It It didn't reveal God's glory fully. Only Moses... His face shone, but then that shining disappeared. But actually, grace is like that. You see the contrast. The new way, the grace of God, this new way is massive. It illuminates everything. The old way is small, but it's totally eclipsed. It's not to say the light can't still be on, because the old way light is probably still shining. In fact, God refers back to that. That still exists. But the new way is massive. And it gives you glory that lasts. You get that? It's a glory that lasts. And the trouble is, if we in our mind go back to the old way and we start getting legalistic about things or start getting stroppy about stuff, I want my way. You know, God's way is about grace. God's way is about forgiveness. God's way is about restoration. God's way about about discovering his kingdom and the illumination that comes from knowing his kingdom, the glory that lasts. It's a real glory that really does last. And God reveals himself through it. The old one is replaced. I love it in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.13. The message puts this so straightforwardly. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Everything is out in the open with us. He wore a veil so the children of Israel wouldn't notice that the glory was fading away. So he went before God, and yet when he came, came away from God, the glory and that's why he veiled himself. It's a weird kind of thing that he did, but it illustrates something. It illustrates something about the law, that it's got a purpose, but the glory doesn't stay for very long when you're attaching yourself to the law. Um, In contrast, Paul's ministry was open and bold and sustained. And that's what we're called to be. He was able to speak publicly. He was able to be frank and open and confident and upfront. Boldness comes from the fact that the glory of God is with you. That's what it is. Sometimes you may feel the hassle of your week is just overwhelming. Let me tell you, the glory of God is with you. It's with you. The glory of God is with you in your life. The glory of God. He's chosen to bring his glory into your life. His spirit is in us. His spirit is in us. You know... Um, Jesus was baptized again. I, I had to put all these things together in my mind when we were in Jordan. But he was baptized at Bethany, beyond the Jordan. Do you remember that from the scriptures? He was actually baptized technically in what is modern-day Jordan, just over the river. And we went down last night to see where Jesus uh, was reputedly baptized. It is extraordinary. And over the ages, different groups have built churches, and and you know, right through the ages, have been historical monuments built around because it's being carried by word of mouth. That's where Jesus was baptised. And now, um, it's extraordinary. I'm not going to show you exactly the place, but now they've got these churches being built and there's no congregations there. And this is just one of them. And this is right down in the Jordan Valley. It's very hot down there. This was 42 degrees when we were there. It gets even hotter, it goes to 47. That's a, already over 110 or 107 when we were down there. But look at that. Inside that, that kind of religious relic is a fully kitted out Orthodox church down there with no congregation. And as you go down the Jordan, there's more and more of these being built. There's a brand new Russian Orthodox multi-million pound building being built for nothing other than to establish a religious presence. And the kingdom of God is not about that. It's not about beautiful buildings. It's about the love of God, the power of God working through us. It's about him doing stuff that will last in our lives. Third point, believing in Christ. Believing in Christ. It's about building our testimony. But the people's minds were hardened. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil cannot, uh, can be removed only by believing in Christ. Just clock the order that. This veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. The veil doesn't go away until you start believing in Christ. Often I've heard people talk about, well, people can't believe because they're veiled. That isn't how it works. You believe in Christ and then the veil goes away. It's funny how you start to distort information if you become familiar with it. This veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever anybody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever anybody... And what is that veil all about? The veil is hiding the fact that there isn't much glory in the law. It's hiding the the fact that actually that glory is temporary. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. (laughs) Only through believing in Christ is the veil taken away. When you put your trust, that's why before you commit your life to Jesus Christ, to following him, you don't have all the information. Stuff doesn't always make sense. You just know that you have to put your trust in him. You know what happens as soon as you do? The veil goes away. The veil goes away. And you start, it starts to make sense. The knowledge that God's glory is fully relationship now, not in law. It's fully relational. It's interesting, you know, last Sunday, I mentioned already Mark Ritchie coming. It did make me laugh. We had guests from other churches here. Did you know that? There are a few leaders, which is unusual, from other churches. And down the front row, there's a few Anglicans. We had just had to be on our best behavior until Mark got up to speak. Um, Mark, anyway, he had invited some Anglican friends. And, uh, and during the, the comical evening, the stand up show, um, Mark invited people to respond to the gospel. And we do that quite often in here. And he said, Put your hand up, anybody. And I was convinced it was the vicar, the local vicar, who put his hand up. I was amazed. Because um, this guy, amongst these three guys who were from the Anglican church, put their hands up. And I thought, the vicar has just given his life to Christ. <laughs> so I, I emailed Mark and said, isn't it extraordinary that the vicar responded to the gospel when you were here? And he said, yeah, it's amazing. And then he found out later, actually, he was a friend of the vicar. So he got him <laughs> off the hook. But um, I reckon that was just the vicar giving an excuse. But... Um, So a new testimony for that person has just begun. And when you respond to the gospel, a new testimony is being birthed in your life. But for each one of us, that testimony needs to continue. How do we build testimony? Like Jesus, we take every opportunity. We do it in our workplace, in our relationships with each other, in our careers, in our finances. Wherever there are people, wherever there are people, is a kingdom, ministry, opportunity. You bring the ministry of life to people. You give the, the ministry of restoration to people. Otherwise, they're, they're having another ministry going on in their world. You do realise that from what we've shared this morning. There is a ministry of death going on in people's worlds. You are a minister of life with people because you carry this new covenant, this new gospel, this truth that doesn't hold people captive to the law. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. You know, our values are not there by accident, our daring values. And this series is based on those values, determined devotion to God. And you know those values. You can check them out on our website or in previous preaches. But we put our trust in Jesus Christ first. When we do, we become ministers of this life-giving gospel that is needed all around us. You know, I love um, Brother Yun's book, uh, The Heavenly Man. I read it many years ago. And uh, he went through great persecution in China, and he says it's not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. Now you could argue with that comment and say actually there have been some great men, but the truth is this: that there are many weak men and women in this world. But when God takes hold of weak men and women, because we are weak without God. It's a supernatural, it's, a, it's an eternal weak. Human beings are weak. In contrast to God's glory, human beings are very, very weak. Even the ones who are so arrogant and bold and, and think that they're so important. Actually, they're not. It's not true. It's not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. And we need to get that into our hearts. And so, Pentecost Sunday, final point. Spirit of freedom. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So often, as believers, we, we know the truth, but we get caught up in stuff. How free are we? You know, how free are we? The way of getting our perspective is to understand the greatness and the glory of God. And I love Rick Warren's comments. He says, where God commands us, we're commanded to recognise God's glory, to honour God's glory, to declare God's glory, to praise God's glory to reflect God's glory, to live for God's glory. These are incredible statements, aren't they? Purpose-driven life, recognize God, recognize, honor, declare, praise, reflect, and live for God's glory. When we don't, when we don't do that, then we get unstuck. That's where we get unstuck. People get, I believe, almost every problem in life happens because people take the glory away from God and bring everything focused on themselves. When we recognize God's glory, then God's Greatness, a bit like the big light, the bright light, is so much more significant than the stuff we're going through. We recognise his glory. We honour his glory. How do we honour his glory? We honour his glory by, by doing what he says we should do. And it's not law now, it's his grace working in our lives. And we declare his glory. What? How? Just by sharing our faith. That builds our testimony. We praise God's glory in meetings and when we worship and when we are at home in our devotion. We, we praise the glory of God when we do the right thing in our workplace. Against all odds, we do the right thing. When we don't get pulled down by corruption and moral failure, but we stand strong, that's when we praise God's glory. And we reflect God's glory just by by knowing him and letting him work in our lives. And that's what these texts are about. And we live for God's glory. And when we live for God's glory, his glory becomes the thing that is all around us, that bright light It's more than just a smell. It's more than just a letter of recommendation. It is now God's glory reflecting in the face of Jesus Christ in your life. He is building in us an incredible thing. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, and I love these two verses. It's right at the end of this chapter. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you are feeling tied up in knots right now, If your mind is tying you up in knots, that is not coming from God. I'm telling you, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you can take authority over the way you are thinking this morning. You can take authority over the way you are behaving this morning. In fact, you've got to. That's how you declare the glory of God, by taking authority over the things that are messing around with your head, that are messing around with your life. And it's not just just words, but words are powerful. It's behaviours that follow the words. It's behaviours that follow the words. Um, It's the Spirit of the Lord. There is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed, that's every one of us, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. That's incredible. That incredible glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Who wants to follow the old way? I don't. God is changing you by degree, step by step, by step. That's why you've, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You are full of flaws. We're all full of flaws. We, we are messed up. We are mucked up. We are. We need a good clean up. That's why we have a baptism. Good clean up. No, that's not the only reason, but we, you know, it, it, that's a spiritual thing. But we, it's this whole change that's going on. Worship team, why don't you join me? You know, there's this whole change going on in us. Every one of us are being changed into his glorious image, the glorious image of Jesus Christ. This morning is not just about being in church. It's not just about coming to church. It's about a change, a change, a change, a change. You cannot stay the same. We're not in maintenance mode as a church. We are in change mode. We're in becoming stronger mode. We're in multiplication mode. We are in the the mode of making making it work out for the glory of God. We are putting our trust and our faith and our hope and our actions and our determination into knowing that it's the glory of God that we stand before and we reflect Him. When you start reflecting God's glory, stuff changes around you quicker than you can imagine. People start to be changed. Situations start to change. I remember a story a few years ago. There was a woman in this church and she came up to me after a service. I invited people to respond to the gospel and two men responded. I was going to go and pray with them down there. And um, as I did, I stepped off the platform and I just shook this woman's hand and something happened. I didn't feel anything. Nobody else saw anything, but she saw God's incredible, glorious presence in that moment. His spirit just, just hit her. I hadn't got a clue what was going on. Why? Because I'm just reflecting God's glory. And that's what you do. He's designed every one of us to reflect his glory so that God's image is growing bigger and bigger inside us. He doesn't want you to go through hassle for the sake of hassle. He wants his image to be birthed greater, bigger, stronger. He wants everything of Jesus to operate in your life. He's not holding it back saying, "Oh, you're not good enough." He's saying, "Yes you are. Yes you are. You're better than you think. Come on, you can do it. All you got to do is recognize that I'm God." It's my glory that you're carrying and reflecting. And when you do, stuff changes. And this woman, she changed. It was extraordinary. She didn't stop telling me about it for three weeks. She was saying, how God... She said, I was ready to walk out of church. I'd given up on God. And somehow, he just... It just happened. I said, what happened? (laughs) I couldn't explain it. You can't explain it. You can't. You can't You can't make your head explain it. You cannot just talk about Jesus. You have to reflect Jesus. Do you get it? If all you do is talk about him... It isn't the real deal necessarily. You've got to reflect him. That means he's got to be alive and growing in your life. It's Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter. And God's Spirit is in us. God's Spirit is in us. And Paul said to Timothy, Fan into flame the gift of God that's within you. And we're going to come in just a moment and we're going to worship. We're going to let the worship team lead us into worship. If we believe in Jesus, we have had the veil removed. We see God's glory. Those verses say we see God's glory and we reflect God's glory. His grace in action is working through us. Now, even last Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, I prayed with a couple and it was being translated. I'm kind of giving too much information. And as we are praying, something happened. You could feel the Holy Spirit moving and this person started to just feel God's presence. And they said to me, it's like something's going on on the inside. It's like, it's like something's happening. Couldn't put it into words. It's the Spirit of God. You know, and as the guys were practicing this morning and we were doing the, the countdown, they were doing this new song. I sat there and I felt God's Spirit in here. I felt God and people started to stand up. And I just I felt God's presence already in this place. God's presence is here. He's wanting his glory to rest on you and to shine through you. So let's stand right now. Let's stand. And let's sing and celebrate God's glory and then I will take us through the service.